Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. I'm Mark, and uh, I have the opportunity to uh, share with you guys this evening as we continue our journey in POV, what do you see, uh, people's, uh, different people's point of view uh, when it came to the coming of Christ in, in Scripture. And if you remember the first week, we looked at a Jewish point of view, a Jewish rabbi's point of view, a guy named Simeon and a prophet named Anna. And then the next week, Pastor Eric uh, gave us the point of view of power of, of Herod the Great, the, the King Herod, and just kind of how the uh, Jesus coming, God um, being with us, Emmanuel was a threat to his power. And then uh, last week, we had uh, Mary uh, Coffey giving the perspective of uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, and, and that was really powerful about just uh, giving up kind of our vision for our life and, and receiving God's vision for uh, your life or our life and just kind of uh, how that tension is managed and all that all comes together. And then tonight we're going to be looking at something really interesting, a point of marginalization, uh, the point of view of the, uh, the shepherds. Now, Marginalization, I think it's one of those words that we know the definition right, but we probably would have a hard time just coming up with the right words to, to kind of crystallize it in our minds. And I just want to start the evening off just defining marginalization. Marginalization is when, when a group of people or society tells you that you are unimportant, that you are powerless, and that you are worthless that you are unimportant, that you are powerless, and you are worthless. Now, I believe that all of us have experienced this uh, at some time in our life, that a group has basically said that we are unimportant to them, that we are powerless, that we are worthless. And I was thinking back, and I don't think that marginalization has ever been so clear that our social standing in a, in a uh, social structure has ever been so clear than when we were in elementary school on the kickball field at recess, right? Right, I mean, this is how it play out, you know, a thousand years ago when I was, when I was in elementary school. Uh, as soon as we got done chiseling on the, you know, the, 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 the rock uh, kind of tablets, we'd go out to recess and, and, you know, a couple of jocks would say, hey, you know, let's, let's play a game, you know, let's play kickball. And, and we'd be like, hey, kickball and, and everything. And then a couple of them, the popular, you know, the, the buff ones would, you know, they're all on steroids when they're eight years old. You know, you know those kids, right? They're all like, all right, let, you know, here, let's have the team captains. It's, you know, it's uh, Buzz is going to be one, you know, uh, team captain and, and, and buff. You know, so you got Buzz and Buff sitting there, and they're the team captains. And you know how this played out, right? The first, they start picking all their jock friends, right? They're, oh yeah, you know, let's you know, let's get you know Buzz Junior and 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 Bert. That's a good strong name, Bert, and and everything. So you get you get you know these guys uh, on there on the on the on the team, and then who comes next? The popular girls, right? You know, they have the ribbons in their hair. They're pretty. And all the jocks think, you know, yeah, I'm going to get the pretty girl and she's going to like me and everything. They don't understand women. 
They still don't understand women, but, but that was kind of the plan, you know. So then next came what? Kind of the average people. And this is kind of my group. I, would, I was a mid-packer. Still am a mid-packer. Just kind of like, all right, you know, Mark, you know, you're not going to hurt us that bad. You're probably not going to win the kickball game. But, but, you know, hey, you know, you come on and, and it won't hurt you. And most of me and my friends, we would, we would get invited up, you know, and picked on a team uh, at that point. Then, going down kind of the, the elementary school pecking order was then like the, the geeks, right? The nerds and everything. And like, you know, like, and they're like, oh, all right, Poindexter, you know, you, you, all right, well, we'll take you. We can put you in right field or something and it'll be all right. But I don't feel too bad for them because, you know, they got the laugh, last laugh, right? You know, we all work for them now and they got, they ended up with the pretty girls. So, uh, so that is okay. But then after everyone was picked, there was usually that one person, right? That one person who just didn't really fit. That person who was, was maybe socially awkward. Maybe that person, it just, you know, really hadn't developed with, with everyone else. Maybe they had some problems or something like that. And this is where the real cruelty, right, of, of, of being picked on, on, you know, the kickball field, recess kind of field happened. That, that at least in my school, uh, like when, when this last person would, would be there, that, that people started horse trading. Like, you know, Biff would tell, ask Buzz, you know, hey, you know what? If you take this person, uh, we'll give you three points. And it was like, no, 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 I don't want that person. Keep your three points. I'll, I'll you know, I'll give you Mark and that person in 10 points or something like that. So there's this horse trading going on and totally oblivious to the person who is being marginalized. Why? Because in their view, that person was unimportant, powerless to do anything about it, and worthless to their world view. There is a girl when I was in elementary school. Her name was or is Clarissa who was this person. Clarissa had a condition, uh, it was called trimethylamuria, since T-M-A-U is the, is the uh, initials to it. And it was a disease that uh, affected how she smelled. In fact, she smelled like feces. She smelled terrible. Um, and because of that, she was, she was an outcast, that she, she was treated Horribly, she was never picked on the kickball team. That that nobody wanted to sit by her at lunch. That that she was completely marginalized by our social structure. She was treated like she was unimportant. She was powerless, and she was worthless. I remember a couple occasions where the teacher would call Clarissa up, and and say, Clarissa, uh, will you please take this note? to the office for me and she would go up to the office and the and the teacher with tears in her eyes would just plead with us and on the behalf of Clarissa please accept her don't make fun of her don't shun her this is a real person with real feelings and i think back and and I, Honestly, I don't think I ever really made fun of her or, she, or, 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 
or shunned her or anything, but I definitely didn't befriend her. I definitely didn't defend her against the vicious attacks that, that she was subject to. And for that, I'm eternally sorry. In fact, if, if I came across Clarissa today, I would literally fall to my knees and ask for her forgiveness for my part in the hell that she lived in elementary school because I was part of her marginalization. Marginalization affects us all. Sometimes it's not so obvious and ugly and sinful as that. But marginalization happens. And I was thinking about this idea of mar marginalization and thinking about how, how people are, are shunned and they're, they're thought of as unimportant and powerless and worthless. And, and this is really the point of view of the shepherds. This is where they were coming from. You see, the shepherds were on the low end of the totem pole in the religious or in the, in the Jewish culture. They were, they were thought as thieves and drunks. They were thought as, as untrustworthy. They were thought as dirty and smelly and, um, and, and nobody wanted anything to do with them. In fact, it was kind of the profession that if you couldn't do anything else, you ended up being a shepherd. And I think a lot of times in our minds, we think, oh, the shepherd owns the sheep and, and, and you know, he profits and he's kind of like a small businessman and all that, but that's not really how most shepherds were. In fact, most of the guys who are out in the fields, they didn't own the sheep. They just watched the sheep for the owner. In fact, if they lost one of the sheeps, sheeps, one of the sheep that, that, it would be financially devastating to that shepherd and their family because they would have to pay the fair market value for that sheep. And so here you have these kind of these outcasts that it's like, look, you know what? You can watch the sheep all night and, and lay down, you know, with them and, and, and make sure that they're protected because really, you know, you're, you're one step above a fence. And we need you to just kind of guide them around. But if you mess up, then you're out. You see, there was, there was no lobbyist for the shepherds. You know, there was no like power to the shepherds, right? You know, uh, we're the 99%. You know, there was none of, none of that for, for the shepherds. They were on their own. They were, they were just cast aside and they were just cogs in the society. If, if you know what? You didn't work out, who cares? We'll just bring in some other shepherd and, and he will take care of it. This is why this story and this point of view from the marginalized makes is so important. Because they were the ones that got the announcement. If you guys open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, the story that we're talking about tonight begins in verse 8. It said, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, gathering their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I want to time out really quick. Where were the angels? This is really important. Where were the angels? Among them. How have we always been told this story? They were in the sky, right? 
that, that, that we've always, in every Christmas play and every, you know, Charlie Brown special and just about every Christmas story that I've ever seen in any church, the angel's in the air. But that's not what the text says, does it? That's not how the story is told. And I think that this is really important, that, that the angels were among them. In fact, I don't think that there's ever a case where, where the angels are over the person that they're visiting. They, the angel definitely wasn't above Mary when, she told, when the angel told Mary that she was pregnant. That, that the angel of the Lord, when he met Joshua outside of Jericho, wasn't hovering about him. He was with him. When Mary Magdalene went and saw Jesus at the grave, the angels weren't hovering. This is essential because this communicates something to us. See, and a lot of times in our mind that, that, you know, we think the people over us, lording over this, but that's not the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is what? Emmanuel, God with us. And here we don't have the angels in the sky, but we have the angels with the marginalized, the unimportant, the powerless, the worthless, not shouting to them, telling them a message, but on the same level as them, among the marginalized, walking with them to tell them the greatest news ever heard. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news, the gospel, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. See, if I was the angel, that's how I'd do it. I'd do a total dramatic pause right there, and everybody would be like, what sign? What sign? What sign could it be? And I'd be like, wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, here's the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snuggly. Can you do snuggly in a tough, godlike voice? I don't think so. Snuggly? All right, snuggly. Snuggly. In strips of cloth, lying in a manger. That's the sign? That's the sign of the king of kings? He's going to be in a snuggie? In, 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 a, in, a, in a manger? I mean, what kind of sign is that? You know, it's like in a manger. A manger's not a manger. It's like a PC word for a feeding trough. You know, oh, it's not a feeding trough. It's a manger. Oh, okay, it's all right then. It's a baby in a feeding trough. It's a terrible idea, and I'm calling child services, Right? I, I mean, this is the sign that you're talking about. But yeah, this is, this is the sign. Why is this the sign? Because God is with us. He is among us. That he is going to experience our hurts and our pains. He's not coming with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he is coming to be one of us. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, and this is, this is cool, this is one of the shortest hymns in the Bible. 
that they, they sing this hymn, and it's so profound. Remember, we're looking at the point of view from the shepherds. So we got to hear and, and see this happening uh, through their perspective. And this, this is the hymn, Glory to God in Highest Heaven. Imagine if you are marginalized and you're getting the announcement from the personal kind of the, 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 the messenger of the Lord coming to you and not trumpeting or, or broadcasting it or updating it on their Facebook status or tweeting it, but actually with you in person saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And here we have these three sections of this beautiful hymn that much must have just been just sweet honey to the ears of those shepherds. You see, God here in the word in, in Greek is theos. This kind of this, this God creator and sustainer of all things. You see, the shepherds, they were well aware of the pantheon of gods that were in the Roman Empire. They had a God for this and God of that. But here you have the angel of the Lord and, and the great host of angels and the armies of the Lord saying, God, Theos, or in the Hebrew word, Yahweh, creator and sustainer of all things, is here with you. And then they go on to the next part and they say, look, peace on earth. Now this is peace, this shalom is a very important word in the Hebrew language and, and in the Hebrew mindset. And it would have probably instantly brought their minds to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9 and verse 6 that says that for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the lowest of the low. This is the marginalized. And God has come to give them an invitation. And then he follows it up with a kind, some, such amazing words. To those with God is pleased. Can you imagine hearing those words? If, if you, our whole life you've been told you are unimportant. You are powerless to do anything about it. And you are worthless in my eyes. And here you have a heavenly host in your presence giving you the most important message ever. And you are told, you know why? Because God is pleased with you. God has shown you favor. I often wonder why the shepherds, right? I mean, they were shepherds. They were, they were guys out in the field, you know, they're moving sheep around. Wouldn't it have been a better idea to have the heavenly host go to Herod and say, Herod, you know what? You've had a good reign, but here the king of kings is coming. Or, or to go at least to, to the temple, right? And, and, and proclaim it to the rabbis and, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Or maybe... 
at least to some, you know, influential business people or some government people, but shepherds. Why shepherds? You know, I think the answer is found in Luke chapter 14. If you can flip forward really quick, 12 chapters forward. People are asking Jesus about the kingdom of God and what it is all about. And I think that Jesus gives one of the most important, powerful stories for us to understand how God views the marginalized and why God has used the marginalized for great things throughout the course of history. Jesus tells the story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell his guests. Is this echoing to anyone? The banquet is ready. Jesus is here and he's sending his servants. He says, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Shouldn't he have inspected the field before he bought it? I don't know. Another said, check this one out. I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. What the heck does that mean? I know, right? Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Totally get that. <laughs> I've been married 18 years today. And I'm still, I'm, I got to go home right after this. <laughs> Thank you, yes. It is a long time. I'm an old guy. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. The master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The servants had done this, and the servants did this, and they reported, There is still room for more. I love this next part. So his master said, Go into Wakulla County and behind the hedges. Who the heck's behind hedges? You want a guy who's a behind a hedge to come to your party? I don't. God does. And urge everyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. And here I go, aha! Perhaps an invitation was given. And perhaps it was ignored. Now, this is complete just speculation. If you come up to me and say, Mark, show me in the Bible what I'm about to say, I'll say, it's in Mark chapter 17. There is no Mark chapter 17. There's only 16 chapters in Mark. So if I quote Mark chapter 17, be very suspicious. It means I have no biblical backing for what I'm about to say. But at least I'm being forthcoming about it. I wonder, I muse, really based on, on this scripture and, and others about, about an invitation, that God is a God of invitation. That I, I wonder, I, I think back at like Abraham. Abraham who was a shepherd. And, and God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, 
I am going to make you a blessing to all nations. And not only all nations, the whole world is going to be blessed by you, through you. And, and I wonder, was Abraham the first person to get that message? Was he? Did, was that invitation given to others? Was it given to a lot of people and they were just too busy with their five pairs of oxen or their land or, or their wife was, you know, being overbearing or, or something like that? You know, what about Moses? Did Moses go by the only burning bush? Or was the whole place on fire? And he was the only one who noticed. Were the shepherds the first choice? Or were they the only ones who weren't too busy with their careers, with their social structure, with their businesses to hear the call? Because this is what I know. God is a God of invitation, inviting all to the banquet. But we have to accept that invitation. I love this next part. When the, earth, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see that thing that happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And you might be saying to yourself, well, you know what? They didn't have all that responsibility. They were marginalized. They were viewed as, as unimportant and, and powerless and worthless. But remember what I said. They were probably not the owners of that sheep. Who were watching the sheep when they went? Because if they just lost one, they would have had financial ruin for themselves and their family. That this was a huge risk that they were taking but they chose to take it anyway. And they went. And when they got there, the baby was lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. You know, they had all these excuses why not to go. They had sheep responsibility that that they had things to do. They didn't have the right things to wear to go to the Messiah. They just had their stinky shepherd clothes. They didn't have a gift. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any, you know, uh, power or gifts. They weren't like the wise men who brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They had nothing. And I want to tell you guys the truth, that they, God's not a tyrant that God doesn't want you to give what you don't have. He wants you to give what you have and then share what you receive. To give what you have. What did the shepherds have? The shepherds had their presence. They had their worship. And that's what they gave. And then they received so much from God and they shared what they received that they were the conduit of God's love and mercy. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. 
Then the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, because it was just like the angel had told them. They were changed. And everyone they came in contact with were changed. You see, society marginalizes those that do not fit in their structure, but God looks for those. He goes into the county. He goes behind the bushes to extend an invitation to be part of something that is larger than yourself. Society marginalizes those that they deem have no value. But God invites us to be part of something larger than ourselves. That, but first, we have to accept that invitation. I want to show you guys a video of, of what can happen when someone accepts an invitation and takes a chance. We had uh, planned to bring you a story tonight about a kind of prep school that prepares football players for the NFL draft and big contracts. But we're going to call an audible. We're going to switch sports tonight because we've run across an absolutely amazing basketball player that we want you to see. Here's Steve Hartman. Greece Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new, most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwing. Keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting Coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. Get him motivated and hand out water and just be enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they lose a game because he, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Arcadia. Let's okay. go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team. For the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make I just, it? I just airballed it. <laughs> I'm like, just dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed two, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have lived it, you know. You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem. Because he is autistic, Jason says he's used to feeling different. But never this different. Never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, CBS News, 
Rochester, New York. Could have been just another normal evening. The coach could have been a basketball coach and not followed a prompting to give an invitation, to receive an invitation, to be part of something larger than himself, being part of something larger than a basketball game, being part of something larger than a basketball coach, but being part of something that was going to, that would touch the lives and the hearts of millions of people. God is a God of invitation. God is a God of the unexpected. You have to take a step into the unknown to experience God. Nobody can plan things like that. It all happens when you accept an invitation. And the truth is that your contribution is essential to the cause of Christ. Your acceptance of that invitation to be part of something that is larger than yourself, larger than our church, that invitation needs to be accepted. But remember, God is not a tyrant. God will not ask you to give you something that you do not have. But we have to accept the invitation to give what we have and then to share what we have received. That is why that our church has been able to do so much in the, in the seven and a half years that we've been here. That we've been able to, to share what we've received in, in Frenchtown with 72 families each week delivering them groceries and every year being able to bring presents to the kids, that we've been able to plant a church up in Thomasville and, and we get to touch the lives and do life together here in Tallahassee, that we've been able to send just thousands of dollars and build tons of houses down in Guatemala to the under-resourced down there, that we are able to help people go to Haiti and to be the tangible hand of Christ down there. And it all starts by accepting an invitation that is not guaranteed, but it puts you on the path to experience the unknown. Will you accept that invitation? Will you accept that invitation to be part of something that is larger than yourself, something that is not guaranteed, something that is not part of the norm, but will open your life up to experience something that's not ordinary, but extraordinary? But it doesn't come in a bottle. It can't be shipped by Amazon. It happens one way, accepting the invitation of risk and giving what you have, just like Simeon and Anna, what did they have? They had their blessing and they gave their blessing. The wise men, you know what? They had treasure and God had entrusted them with treasure and they gave their treasure. Mary, she had hopes and dreams and protection, and that is what she gave. And the shepherds, they gave their time and their testimony. 
God is a God of invitation for you to be part of something beyond yourself, something extraordinary. But if you have insight, if you have money, if you have time, if you have a story to tell, it is incumbent upon the story of God, that you are part of the story of God to give what you have and share what you receive. And I believe if we do that, us too, that maybe those of us who feel marginalized will hear God's army, a vast host, sing us that beautiful hymn, Glory to God in the highest heaven, Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Amen. Thanks, guys.